0: America's incredible prosperity was built atop a foundation of free markets and free people. We cannot allow left-wing ideologues to undermine that foundation. But with inflation on the rise and a struggling market, many in America's political class are attempting to recycle their failed socialist ideas. National Review's Capital Record podcast is standing in the gap providing you with the arguments and analysis you need to defend our economic system. Financier and NRI trustee David Barnson hosts interviews with the nation's top business leaders, entrepreneurs, and financial commentators as they provide a practical and moral vindication of America's capitalist way of life. With guests such as Larry Kudlow, Steve Forbes, and Art Laffer, Capital Record invites you to tune in for top-level economic commentary you can't get anywhere else. Join the conversation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows.
1: Trump ahead in the swing states, a murder of a Jewish counter-protester in Los Angeles, plus... 10% for the big guy. We'll discuss all this and more on this edition of The Editors. I'm Rich Lowry, and I'm joined, as always, by Noah, Noah Rothman, and the sage of Authenticity Woods, Jim Garrity. You are, of course, listening to a National View podcast. Our sponsors of this episode are Bethlehem College and Made in Cookware. More about them in due course. If for some reason you're not already following on a streaming service, by the way, you can find us everywhere from Spotify to iTunes. And if you like what you hear here, please consider giving us a glowing five-star review on iTunes. If you don't like what you hear here... Please forget I said anything. So, Jim Garrity, there were a lot of people who didn't like what they heard from this new New York Times swing state poll that has Trump pretty much ahead everywhere in these key states. I have to say, not shocking to me. And what seems most notable to me is not necessarily the the ballot test, but some of the, the underlying findings. Obviously, Biden's age, just a a major concern. Everyone knows Trump is almost as old, but people think Biden is too old to be president again in a way that Trump isn't. And then Trump leads on pretty much every major issue that people care about except for abortion. What do you make of it?
2: Well, I think a lot of Democrats believed that once Trump had been beaten in the 2020 election, and then after January 6th, that he was toast, that he would never be back anywhere near the Oval Office ever again, that he would be consigned to the ash heap of history, et cetera, et cetera. And so throughout the, you know, like Biden's job approval rating really took a tumble after the debacle of the Afghanistan withdrawal. But Democrats could kind of whistle past the graveyard and say, ah, it's not gonna be that bad because they could point to 2022. They could point to a year which a whole bunch of not so great Democratic candidates I would say John Fetterman, but John Fetterman has been doing everything possible to make me like him lately, so we're just going to put that one aside. It's
1: amazing, isn't it? I I didn't like that thing. I would have had contempt for it, but the other night, did you see it was being heckled by someone, and he said, well, the joke's on you. I I can't understand a word you're saying because I I had a stroke. stroke. (laughs) Yeah, like—
2: uh, and it's not just that he took a shot at Gavin Newsom for you know uh, running good. for president, but not wanting to tell anyone. Like, He's been hell, hell on Menendez and yeah. uh, and put up a bunch of kidnap posters outside. Resolute his on Israel, totally blaming Hamas, calling out the squad. This is not where we expected this conversation to go. Just a bit like you know, like good for you, John Fetterman. Like you know, why you know? Maybe they uh, su- should switch Biden out for Fetterman. Uh, <laughs> we would take that deal, <laughs> wouldn't we? Um, <laughs> Biden so, would have better mental acuity scores, I think, than, yeah. than Biden at the moment. Uh, yeah, steering back to the original topic, because I know you don't like it when I ignore the question you ask. Um, the, the question will be like, you know, like, what's shocking about this poll is that it took away those last little bits that Democrats could tell themselves. Like, yeah, we know it's going to be a close election. It always is a close election. and Yeah, we know the national numbers, but no, no. Biden's fine in the swing states. Well, maybe Biden's not fine in the swing states. He was actually down 10 in Nevada. Now, I don't think Trump would win Nevada by 10 points in a rematch, but it just, that tells mm-hmm. you Trump winning Nevada in 2024 is not unthinkable. In fact, the only state that uh, Biden was winning was Wisconsin. That, too, was close. And I, I noticed, you, know, you go deep into the, uh, the crosstabs. In a hypothetical match of Kamala Harris versus Trump, Trump is actually ahead in Wisconsin. So she's she's 0 for 6. Uh, You know, Biden is 1 for 6 in this. So I think it made Democrats confront the fact that they've been counting on Trump's lack of popularity to be enough to carry them over the hump, which happened in a lot of races in 2022. And it's not uh, that same dynamic isn't here. Biden is in office. People feel like everything in life is really expensive right now. People feel like the world is on fire, that there's foreign crises everywhere. People feel like the border has been insecure for the entirety of Biden's presidency, and he refuses to do anything about it. Like, this all just keeps stacking up. And, oh, by the way, he turns 81 this month. Now, theoretically, the economy could turn terrific between now and Election Day. Um, Democrats right now are probably screaming, oh, it is great. No, it's not. You know, people, uh, you know, yes, unemployment rate is low. Yes, technically the year-over-year year inflation is that, but things are still expensive. Have you tried filling up your tank lately? It's still well north of three dollars, at least where I am. People are used to pay in between two or three dollars a year. Pay, check your grocery bill, check your rent, check your mortgage rates. Like all these things are, you know, everything's expensive now. That's what's getting people really riled up. Um, and Biden is just not going to get any younger. So you add all that up, and you can see Trump beating Biden in a, re, in a rematch. I'm not saying it's 100% certain. I, I think our good friend Andy McCarthy is. Um, I understand his concerns when he says this is all polling designed to get Republicans to nominate Trump. And then once Trump's the nominee, they'll begin the drumbeat on all of Trump's bad faults because uh, we haven't had a lot of coverage of that. And uh, that, Yeah, uh, no, no one knows though, what those are. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I look at this and I see 2024 as a jump ball, that there are two mm-hmm. very unpopular cranky old men. But right now, uh, more Americans are thinking back, boy, I really like that pre-COVID economy. And yeah, maybe maybe I'll roll the dice on Trump, and hopefully we get back to that, because what we got right now stinks.
1: So Noah, you could look at this poll though, and it it should be a five on fire for Democrats, as it it has been. That seems to have been the reaction. Axel Axelrod basically called on Biden to to examine his conscience and drop out and do the right thing. But it's even though Trump has been gaining among minorities. It's it's easy to see Biden clawing back those numbers. Same thing with young people. You know, Bi- Biden has been uh, losing among young people, but re- losing ground among young people. But is he really going to uh, not be able to claw back those voters in a matchup against Trump? And Democrats also put a lot of faith in winning over the double disapprovers, the way they did in the the twenty twenty two election. You know, you have a lot of people dislike both. Both of these guys, and if you can just convince some of you know a critical mass of those people go, go with our guy because he's, he's more acceptable than this, this radioactive maniac, well then you can, you can win a narrow victory again.
3: I mean, yeah, all of that's correct. but does that do anything for your sense of self-esteem? If you're a Democrat? I mean, you must be feeling rather terrible about yourself if that is the condition that you're faced with, if we're so unpopular, that this, we're <clears throat> on par with somebody, who is a his historic embarrassment in the White House, to the Republican Party. Sorry to say it. It's the truth. And to lose to that historic embarrassment a one-term president for the first time in a very long time, almost 50 years, who may be running for the White House under the shadow of a criminal conviction, and that's what they're staring down the barrel at, it would be a world historic disaster for the Democratic Party and its self-conception. One of the things that you said, I mean, to illustrate this double disapprover phenomenon that you talked about, I mentioned this last week, this AP poll that found that that previously unreported results for some reason, which may mean the data is hinky, who knows. But nevertheless, people who saw both Donald Trump and Joe Biden as too old broke for Joe Biden by two to one margins. So there's some evidence that that's that's an out for Democrats. It's possible. And in this poll, this New York Times-Siena survey There was this slew of reports uh, from David Leonhardt at the Times and a supplemental analysis from the Times trying to talk the readership down from the conclusions that this poll reached, which is that Joe Biden is in very serious trouble. And what they rested on is the notion that on average, about 6% across these six swing states would shift from Donald Trump to Joe Biden if the former president is convicted and sentenced by as a result of one <laughs> of his crimes. Um, that's a, that's a really low bar for Joe Biden to clear. And that's probably what their hopes rest on. There's two, two things that I see that are dangerous there for Democrats. The first being is that it will create the logic for the democratic party. That's partisans, the media to make Donald Trump's criminal trials, the center of attention for the next two years and to lean on justice, to deliver outcomes that it seeks rather than, The pursuit of justice in a blind and neutral fashion, which I think is rather dangerous. Um, But it also demonstrates that the broader electorate understands that there's a problem with Donald Trump when it comes to these criminal liabilities, but they don't really know the details of them. They're willing to be convinced by the impartial conduct of the justice system toward to move towards a conclusion that I think they already have, but are reluctant to to reach and that's a noble civic impulse right innocent until proven guilty but it demonstrates that john donald trump's criminal convictions or criminal allegations at least are a real big problem for him a looming threat to his to his bottom line but the poll demonstrates rather clearly that policy matters that the soul of the nation that joe biden ran on is a luxury Mm -hmm. belief and that when it comes to economic policy that's inflationary a national security policy that has produced uh, some of the most, the most threatening, deteriorating international security environment conditions that I, I can remember. And crime and border policies that have rendered Americans who walk the streets apprehensive. They feel unsafe in their communities. Um, that's policy. And it all matters. And if it's a contest between policies that keep you safe and keep your family well-fed and secure and the abstract soul of the country— Voters are going to pick their families. They're going to pick their safety. Yeah, it's not a contest.
1: Yep, yeah, I, I totally agree with that, and that's why. Who knows? You know, Trump's tried next year, convicted on something. Maybe the bottom falls out, or you know, the bottom won't have to fall out. It'll be a close race if he just ticks down six points. That that would be uh, in swing states. That would obviously be significant. But I just think if he has the kind of lead he does now on the economy, he can be in jail and possibly win. This election. You know, uh, there was a CBS poll that says people expect their personal finances and I believe also their safety to be in better shape if Donald Trump's president. That that will be the overwhelming, most direct concern for for nearly everyone. You want to know what
3: the biggest biggest gut punch was in that poll that more voters think that Donald Trump's presidency, if he were reelected, would be a more race neutral presidency, a more colorblind presidency than Joe Biden's. What a punch in the gut for Democrats.
1: But Jim, this this just goes to the point. Uh, and I was talking to someone, a uh, highly placed Republican, about this a week or so ago, and he's just like, "Whoever switches wins. Right? <laughs> Whoever goes uh, with with someone besides the the current presumptive nominees, Joe Biden or Donald Trump, is is going to win readily." And the problem with the, for the Democrats, obviously, although I mean they, they are, I mean. Going with this guy is just such an enormous risk on every single level. But it's hard to leverage an incumbent president out of office when the incumbent president doesn't want to go, and the incumbent president never wants to go, right? Why? Why would he go if there's no mechanism to make him go? He's going to stay. And then even if they made him go, you have the Kamala Harris problem. So that, that's that's difficult. But on the Republican side, in theory at least, it's a it's it's an open field, right? They they can just caucus for someone else in Iowa, vote for someone else in New Hampshire, and lo and behold, they've magically gotten another nominee, you know, Nikki Haley, who's polling better than, than Trump now, DeSantis, who's polling sort of comparably against Biden, maybe may a little a little worse, but none of them are going to be convicted of a crime, of a felony uh, next year. They just have lower downside risks. They're not as radioactive. They, you know, weren't, weren't involved in January 6th, all the rest of it. And, you know, they're plugging away, but it just doesn't, doesn't look very likely. But a big, a big event in in a more normal time was this Kim Reynolds endorsement. That to his credit and to her credit, uh, he got. You know, she she must know that it's kind of unlikely he's going to win, but think he thinks he's the best uh, choice. And they're kind of kindred spirits as these these uh, very conservative reformist governors. But we'll see if it makes a difference.
2: Yeah, I, you know, Rich, there's a meme that goes around out there. I think it's from some horror movie which the parent is, the mom is looking in the back seat, upset with their child. And she's saying, can't you just be normal? And the child screams back, like, ah, you know, just like this, this, whatever this kid is dealing is an absolute freak show. That is what the voters are saying really to both parties. Can't you just please be normal? Just find somebody who's not geriatric and who isn't always screaming about conspiracies and all that kind of stuff and telling us wild meandering stories about corn pop. Just be normal both Joe Biden and Donald Trump are saying, you know, just Mm -hmm. kind of freaking out like that. And that's, you know, the irony is, is that um, Democrats could have had a competitive primary. They are not. uh, I'm sorry. Sorry, Dean Phillips. uh, Sorry, Marianne Williamson. Um, You know, there's any, like, and, you know, we had joked earlier about, you know, Fetterman saying that Gavin Newsom clearly is just hanging around, hoping for Biden to fall off a stage and hoping to step in there. Uh, But they, you know, like, Back in 2019, there was all this talk about Biden being this bridge president, that he was going to be this, you know, caretaker, and he would turn it over to someone. And and I think, like, look, we now got to look back and think, because people like, ah, you know, everybody could kind of see Kamala Harris, you know, crashed and burned in her short-lived presidential campaign, and wildly overhyped. Biden had said, "I'm going to pick a uh, African American woman." I think we're kind of sitting there wondering, did he pick the most incompetent choice? As a way to ensure that everyone would see him as irreplaceable uh, mm-hmm. for the next, you know, four to eight years. And was he ever, you know, like, did was he ever on board with this idea of being a bridge candidate? Or was he always, in his mind, did he always see a great two-term president staring back at him in the mirror? Because remember, early on, he was talking to historians, ah, you could be the next FDR. Ah, you could be the next LBJ, you know. Um yeah, yeah, I think
1: but, on, on that front it's also it's easy to talk about being a one-term president when you're not president. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. But when you're actually there and they get the Marines saluting you uh, every day outside of Marine One, it gets think about it a little differently.
2: Yeah, so it's an observation by the way. Like the way we know not a single democrat has any faith in Kamala Harris is that not a single liberal progressive columnist or Member of Congress or talking head has, you know, has come out and like, – like maybe you could say – the Axel Rod thing is just kind of hinting at it. But no one's saying Biden should res, you know should announce mm-hmm. he's not running and Kamala Harris should be the Democratic nominee in 2024. Nobody's coming out explicitly saying that because everybody thinks she will lose. And I think that New York Times poll indicates there's a really good chance she would lose.
1: So to the generic Republican point, that's a point our friend Charlie makes. And he's missing today. He wanted to join but is feeling a little under the weather. Nothing too serious, but just not quite up to it. But Noah, you were, you were tweeting about this New York Times poll. Here's Charlie's point illustrated. The generic Republican in the swing states you know, is ahead by double digits. Now, obviously, there's no such thing as a totally generic uh, Republican. Everyone has a, a, a little bit of a, a flavor to them or, or Rich, their, their distinctive
2: Rich. flaws. Rich, yeah. we remember Tim Pawlenty. <laughs> he was the generic Republican. And I like Tim Pawlenty. That's a compliment.
1: So, Noah... And last thing to you, I don't know whether you caught this Trump riff uh, the other day about um, his foreign policy and about killing Soleimani and about how I've been meaning mean to look up you know, someone must have fact checked this already, but the the Prime Minister of, pa- of uh, Pakistan supposedly told Trump he spent a week after that in seclusion, just like just thinking about life and the choices he was making because he was so scared by the fact that that Trump out of the blue had had pasted this guy who who uh, totally deserved pasting. And then he told a story about the Iranians, like knowing, you know, they, they hit one of our bases. And then then we took out, you know, hit hit their radar installations and all this. And then Iran said that they ha- they're going to hit back with 18 rockets. But don't worry, none of them will hit the base because we, we, we don't want to go up this escalatory ladder with you. We just want to make a show that we responded. So so don't worry. And, it, you know, this t- story could be total BS, half BS. And some of this stuff actually turns out to be true. But I think intuitively, a lot of voters, especially Republican voters, just think, yeah, people were scared of I mean, I him. And that was a good thing. Yeah,
3: I think some of that's true. Um, certainly, the Soleimani strike changed the tempo of the battlefield. And it was a battlefield uh, leading up to that attack. There's a bit of revisionist history around that. Leading, leading up to this attack, Iran was undeterred. And those that's the language that... Um, Secretary of State Pompeo used that deterrence had broken down, and you could see it everywhere. Um, Iranian fast boats were approaching commercial ships in the Persian Gulf and seizing them—piracy on the high seas. American positions in Iraq and Syria were under attack, rocket attack regularly from Shiite militias. Some one of them was named Hez, Hezbollah, so just to bring it, you know, really back to to earth. There was an attack on the largest Saudi petroleum processing facility from Iran, drones originating from Iran. Um, we didn't respond to a lot of this. It was only until late December of twenty nineteen that Donald Trump reluctantly ordered a retaliatory response on one of these Shiite positions. And the response from Shiite militias was to attack the Baghdad embassy, was to almost seize the embassy, force our personnel into safe rooms for twenty four hours. It was a harrowing ordeal, and something needed to be done to change the situation on the battlefield, to restore the temple of operations, retake the Temple of operations. And change the, the situation on the battlefield. That's pretty much what Iran is or what Iran is executing now and what Israel is doing by taking one of its chess pieces in Hamas off the board. That changes the situation for um for Iran, and that's a good thing. And it was Donald Trump who set that tone, or at least uh, his Pentagon and his advisors and him saying, okaying that operation. That's all good. It's important. And there's a lesson there but the president wasn't as proactive as i think he likes to pre- pre- present himself he was we were absorbing these attacks for quite a while and it wasn't until an american contractor died that a, lo- a real fire was lit under this situation briefly on the generic republican point i mean i'd love to direct everybody to these numbers go go read the poll for yourself Whoever this generic Republican is, is a colossus who will bestride American politics. And obviously that is an ideal. It's an unattainable ideal. But the mere mortals who walk closest to the path benefit from this assumption that they are normal, regular Republicans. And as Charlie says, that is the strongest force in our politics. Nikki Haley is the closest to approaching the double-digit uh, advance uh, advantages that the generic Republican enjoys over Joe Biden. Um, With the exception of Nevada, which is a weird result, Donald Trump winning by 10 in a state that Republicans haven't won since 2004, I think is a little hinky. Um, But regardless, the trend is pretty clear that Republicans do well when they're generic, when they adhere to a Reaganite consensus that everybody grew up with and is kind of comfortable with. And they do all right when they're sort of Trumpian populists that can kind of remake the electorate and triangulate Democratic issues. When they're kind of trying to have a foot in both camps, as Donald, as Ron DeSantis has, voters render a mixed message. At least that is what we're seeing from this particular poll. All
1: right, Jim Garrity, exit question to you. Let's double barrel it. First, if the election were held today, Donald Trump would beat Joe Biden. And since it's never too soon to make a speculative horse race predict- predictions about the 2024 election, which is almost just a year away. If it's Trump versus Biden, who would win?
2: Rich, if the presidential election were held today, a lot of people would be confused because they think it's next year. Um, But somebody said, I think that poll in The New York Times indicates that Trump would, at minimum, be very competitive in all these swing states. And I think it's very, you know, very possible, in fact, even likely that he'd win them. And so he'd probably be more likely to come up with 270 electoral votes or more. So that's a yes on today. Yeah, yeah. And I think How about a year from now? um, A year from now, Biden's going to be older. Uh, by a year from now, you know, we don't know what the economy is going to be like. We don't know what the state of foreign affairs is going to be like, but it ain't looking great right now. So I would say, I think, yeah, I can see, you know, it's very easy to see Trump winning. The only thing that makes me wonder is, I've you and I have talked about this before, people aren't paying a lot of attention to what Trump says on a daily basis, his mm-hmm. ramblings on truth social, let's kill Millie, that kind of stuff. So I think that might catch up with him in a general election, and people might say they might, the people who are right now are like, oh, I can't stand Biden. Anything's got to be better than this. They'll take a good long look at Trump and say, ugh, okay, maybe I can live with Biden. I, I think that's the one scenario Democrats have to be, you know, the Hail Mary pass that they're looking for.
1: All right, so it sounds like a am sorry, it's Democrats. Yes.
2: They don't do Hail Mary passes. They do Hail Allah or something.
1: <laughs> so that's uh, almost a double yes, uh, yeah. a yes on the first and a kind of a yes yeah. with a yes caveats on the second. No. Yeah.
3: Noah. Donald Trump would win handily if the election were held today. The election is not held today. It is the ab- total absence of a general election environment and the year of campaigning that precedes it, which is why I don't think he ultimately prevails in November 2024, barring whatever exigencies that will befall us in the next year, God help us, whatever they may be. Um, but if those conditions persist that we have today, And coupled with a general election, which, as this poll indicates, is going to be a Democratic messaging campaign, a negative messaging campaign like you have never seen in your lifetime, the effort to polarize this candidate, and the press will be 100% on board with it, to popularize the criminal allegations against him, to acquaint you intimately with every detail of his uh, misdeeds, alleged misdeeds, will be ubiquitous. Uh, I think it's going to be very difficult for Donald Trump, whatever he is in the abstract to people, as a memory uh, in his governance from 2017 to 2019, and only that portion of his administration. I think that the bubble will be pierced on that to an extent that excites Democrats in the same way that Republicans are presently excited. Right now, Democrats are very unenthused, and I don't think that pertains in November 2024.
1: So I'm going with Jim. I'm a yes on today. Well, both you guys uh, totally agree on today. And I'm a yes, Trump winning in November 2024. But, you know, it's basically in football terms, it's a it's a pick at the moment. I just think economy, I don't see it getting better. Biden's age is going to get worse, maybe in, in some really visible ways ways. And we will see. I mean the, the legal stuff is such a wild card, but I just wouldn't be shocked as I've said before, if if it if he's convicted it leads to an immediate pulling down draft the way the Access Hollywood tape does and then it's just kind of kind of absorbed and people move on. With that, let's hear from our first sponsor this episode, Bethlehem College, where students study the great books in light of the greatest book For the sake of the Great Commission, trajectories of life are being set for young men and women in the pivotal period between the ages of 18 and 25. At Bethlehem College, students wrestle with these realities, not in a 200-person classroom, but in a 200-person classroom. College. Bethlehem College is not a Bible college, but everything in the academic program is saturated with the Bible. The school's chancellor John Piper said recently that when he looked at the upcoming generations of students, he observed that their God is too small and their reading is too passive. So Bethlehem's aims are to train students in assiduous attentiveness in all their reading, whether reading their Bible or but whether they are reading the world. Bethlehem calls this approach education in serious joy and delivers it at a price that ranks as one of the lowest tuition rates in American Christian higher education, only about $7,500 a year. Bethlehem College, education in serious joy. To apply or request more information, visit bcsmn.edu slash editors. That's bcsmn.edu slash editors. Please check it out. So, Noah, what seemed kind of uh, inevitable as tragically happened in Los Angeles, a Jewish counter-protester was an engaged. Uh, we don't know ex- the exact details. I don't think we have video of the altercation itself, but in an altercation with a pro-Gaza or pro-Hamas protester gets uh, pushed backwards or, or at least falls, hits his head, and dies 65-year-old man. What do you make of it?
3: I wish I could say that it was unexpected. I wish I could say that I think this was the last such incident. I don't. I think this is the start of something truly terrible. And we've been witness to the prelude to it over these last four weeks. Paul Kessler, who was attacked, apparently, allegedly, um, by a demonstrator who was protesting Israel's effort to bring the 107 slaughterers to justice... should be clear about what they're protesting. Beat him, according to witnesses, with a bullhorn. He was concussed. He bled from the head all over a handmade sign that read, Stop Bombing Babies and Families, which is illustrative, analogous. And then he passed away. Um, At the same time, uh, just hours earlier, a woman, 34-year-old woman in Indiana, took her car and deliberately rammed it into what she thought was a school full of Jewish children. She wanted to kill Jewish kids. It was only through her own uh, stupidity that she targeted a, uh, what the ADL defines as a hate group, the black Hebrew Israelites, and that through luck, she managed not to kill anyone. Yes. Yeah.
1: What, 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 what a moron. But I mean, what it's cold conference. She well. wanted
3: to kill children, and she's not going to be the last. Mm-hmm. Chris Ray had a hearing last week where he discussed, much to the administration's chagrin, as they were focusing relentlessly on the plague of Islamophobia— That 60% 60 of hate crimes are directed towards Jews. There's been a 37% increase in those hate crimes over the last year. Some estimates have it that since the 10-7 attack, the murder of Jews, which perversely begets attacks on more Jews, that those attacks on on Jews, for being Jews, are up by 388% in the last month. That's an estimate, so we don't know. But it it would comport with what we're seeing. And what have we been seeing? We've been seeing some of the most grotesque, overt, Unself-conscious displays of anti-Semitism that I've witnessed in my entire lifetime. The most Jewish city in the con- in the planet, New York City, is host to rallies where people are chanting globalize the intifada, and there's only one solution to the Jewish problem. We've seen acts of property destruction, specifically Hitlerian threats against lawmakers, ritualistic vandalism. This is all an act of intimidation and a sort of a rite, a ritual that summons and the people who engage in this, the will to engage in murderous violence. This is a hype session. This is a locker room hype session for these people. And it has produced the violence that we all thought was coming. And it was preceded by years of the press angling for this sort of hatred. Because we don't teach the Holocaust anymore. People have been taught. Ten percent studies suggest that ten percent of people in, the, in the, the Gen Z age haven't even heard the word Holocaust. Most of them don't know what it was about. They don't know the numbers. They don't know the, why they were killed, and they don't know the predicate for it. And it is called. Is we have a you know a series of reports in places like the New York Times where they attack the state of Israel for uh, engaging in cultural appropriation by you know appropriating uh, hummus which is supposedly a, a Palestinian thing. So their occupation is, is continuing in another form. Even when they say the occupation is continuing, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has been retailing the idea that Gaza is under occupation for years. She's an idiot, but she's a popular idiot. And all these people have access to microphones and they're in front of cameras and they're on TikTok, which is where everybody in, the, in this generation gets their news. What did we think was going to happen? We have been creating the conditions for anti-Semitic violence for years. It has come home to roost, and it's only going to get worse, and we have no one else to blame but ourselves.
1: So, Jim, this this gentleman, Paul Kessler, who was killed, you made the point that uh, we've seen in, in the past, in really consequential episodes, incidents that otherwise would just be local news items, maybe not even the the top local news item, or maybe they would, 10 o'clock local TV news, magnified into major national scandals and issues of concern, uh, driving what uh, is always the the discussion, um, conversation that the left wants about race or whatever else the issue is. And you say, it'd be very easy for the media and the gatekeepers to do that, uh, make Paul Kessler famous to have a debate of the sort that you know Noah's just outlining but you're skeptical that's going to happen.
2: Yeah, but I'd I'd love to be pleasantly surprised. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I was thinking about the coverage of Kermit Gosnell, the, you know, psychotic butcher who was performing abortion services allegedly but was actually chopping up babies and was an absolute psychomaniac. And a reporter who covered abortion policy was asked, you haven't, you haven't written anything about this? And they said, well, it's a local crime story. I mean, on paper, the murder of Kessler is a local crime story. Protester who supports Israel, protester who supports the Palestinians, end up in the same place at the same time. And, you know, based on the accounts, pro-Israel protester hits the guy in the head, guy falls backward, hits his uh, head on the on a curb or the street, and, you know, dies from those injuries a couple days later. It characterized a homicide. Unfortunately, in this country, people die every day. People get murdered every day. But sometimes they become big news. And this feels like the sort of circumstance in which someone, this this could warrant being big news, being coast to coast because Kessler didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't a provocateur. He wasn't getting anybody else's faces. He just showed up at a protest one day. And then one other guy decided to kill him. That's that. You know, it could happen to any of us. All this guy was. This guy could be a martyr for the First Amendment. This guy could be a martyr for this freedom of speech. And just an observation that here we are, November two thousand twenty-three, and America. You can be killed if you are in the wrong place at the wrong time and you say something somebody doesn't like. That that that's kind of frightening. It could have been any of us. But you know, we'll see if that happens. I, I credit the Los Angeles Times it was front and center on the top of its uh, uh, website today. New York Times wrote an article. I didn't see where in the paper it was I mean, it's not being ignored but as i wrote about in today's morning jolt like there are time, we all know that there are times when there is what uh the new york times used to call flood the zone coverage right where it's not just you know a one day story even a two day story like this repeated stories every lawmaker is asked for a response what do you have to say about this do you know uh columns house editorials you know political cartoons uh segments on television segments about the roundtable. on on show, like it becomes what a drumbeat coverage it becomes something? Maybe the, the you know good measuring stick cover of Time magazine or the other newsweeklies, right? You know the argument of this is important, this is worth your attention, and this is worth our discussion. And then there's something I like to call check the box journalism. It's a wire service story, it runs on page A five or A six. It's there, but there's no editorials, no columns, no cartoons, no roundtable segments. It's just enough coverage to, you know, dispel the accusation that the, that the news has been compl- that was completely ignored by the publication or institution. Now, I don't know how it's going to go. Like I said, there's been a decent amount of first-day coverage. We will see if this turns into a cause because we've seen lots of times where some, we ha- something bad happens and we are told this is cause for a national conversation. This is cause for a – we all need to pause and take a moment and see what happened here. And we need to heed the lessons. The lessons always, always try to be you shouldn't vote for Republicans. That that That's, you know, ah, you know, this this mass shooting. Well, it shows you how dangerous Republicans are. Cesar Sayak, that nut job who was sending out uh, what we thought were pipe bombs before the midterm elections in 2018. I mean, you can find people who said this is a direct result of Trump and his rhetoric. But uh, Hodgkinson, the guy who shot up the uh, uh, the baseball field full of Republican congressmen, it's just a bad thing that happened. It's just things. There are nut jobs in this world. What are you going to do? Could possibly radicalized by language from folks on the left. No, 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 we can't do that. So look, I would love to see this. I, I don't think we're going to see this because I think most mainstream media institutions, they're not actually populated by radicals. I mean, you could find some here and there, but I don't think that's the dominant um, philosophy at work there. I think what you have are generally old school, middle-aged liberals who are not totally on board with the maniacs marching in the streets and smearing red paint on the White House and uh, chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Asterisk, nobody ever explains what's going to happen to all the people currently living in Israel. They don't really, you know, uh, they don't really, you know, the middle-aged liberals at these new mainstream media publications, they don't love this crowd, but they also don't really want to pick a fight with them, right? Bennett lost his job at the New York Times for running a uh, op-ed by Tom Cotton. That was an uprising. Oh, the, the company Slack was on fire. All that stuff. New York Times employs a guy who's a videographer who praised Hitler, and that's not a firing offense. He, he had a stern talking to. Okay, hey, hey now, hey now. We don't like to see you praising Hitler around here. That's that, that that's out of line here at the New York Times. That's a no-no. Can't do that. So, like, they, you know, there are terrible professional consequences if you take on the left and lose. Bennett will tell you, know, has the scars to show you. But you take on the right, look, that's perfectly fine. So I think... That in the end, Kessler will be a one or two day story, just a bad thing that happened. What are you going to do? A lot of nut jobs out there, ah, you know. But that's whereas you know, God for you know, God forbid, some pro-Israeli protester kills some Palestinian. Oh, by the way, you shouldn't. And I would note that at that uh, when Kessler was struck in one of the footage, you can see a woman wearing a headscarf with a free Palestine jacket who kneels down to check on him. Do not. The lesson from this is not that all pro-Palestinian protesters are evil people. I mean, some of them, maybe. But you can't run around thinking that you know know somebody – you can look into their soul and see if they're a good or caring person because of their political beliefs. But nonetheless, like some of these people marching in these protests are maniacs. Some of these people protesting is – they want to kill people. They're looking for violence. And that's the thing. Some people in this world, they just are looking for an excuse to hate somebody. And anti-Zionism, wink, wink, it's not anti-Semitism. No, no, no. I'm just about – I'm just mad about Israeli policies. Uh, That mentality gives people a socially approved form of hate, and they're allowed to let out all of these antisocial instincts and all of this pent-up anger and rage and violence, and everybody else around them says, good job, you really stuck it to the Jews. Oh, I'm sorry, you really stuck it to the Zionists, wink, wink. Can I... I I can tell you're boiling over there. Yeah, I just
3: want to highlight something that you mentioned, Jim, and it's the most important distinction between this event and even... uh, Even the uh, attack on this uh, school, this woman who drove her car into a school, and the psychotic murder of a six-year-old boy that the president singled out deservedly, righteously, justly, as an episode of the Islamophobia that they couple with anti-Semitism almost reflexively and lean into, have leaned into since we've seen this explosion of unprecedented anti-Semitism in the streets, that it's this phenomenon. All hate is the same phenomenon in the president's mind and it's, it's all coupled, and one begets the other, and you can't distinguish one from the other. That's the dodge, and it is a dodge. The distinction between Paul Kessler's murder and these other acts of violence, the attack on the six-year-old, the attack on the school, is the difference between a psychotic act by a deranged individual and a mob. And a mob gets regular, normal old people to succumb to their lizard-brained instincts and do terrible, horrible things. And it's mobs that we've been seeing in the streets, mobs that have been attacking synagogues and Jewish-owned businesses. These are. This is why it's a terrifying threat that conservatives understand instinctually, and progressives tend not to with their infatuation with the collective and collective action, is that mobs get regular old people to become murderers, and it never ends with broken windows.
1: So, Jim Garrity, next question to you. There are things that Joe Biden can be doing that would make an appreciable difference on the ground regarding this phenomenon, this kind of frothing hatred that we've been talking about, yes or no?
2: Yeah, because as Noah mentioned, when Biden talks about this, it's like anti-Semitism, bad Islamophobia, don't be Islamophobic. By the way, you shouldn't. A poor six-year-old kid had a whole life ahead of him. The average Muslim walking around in the United States is not your problem. The average Muslim walking around, even even the average protester, you know, chanting uh, from the river to the sea. Like, I hate it, but you know what? They got a first amendment right to do that. But, as you notice, there's a a disparity here. There's also, like here, you know, if you uh, run around and say, you know, I hate Muslims, your your butt's gonna be out of the faculty lounge real fast, right, but if you say, I'm anti-Zionist, well, then you're perfectly okay. Then Then it's perfectly reasonable. And just to use this example from today's jolt, which kind of has been sticking in my head. Like imagine your neighbor suddenly said, I really hate Guatemala. I I pick Pick any country, any other country except Israel. And they say, ah, you know, Guatemala, the state shouldn't exist, is wrong. It's a historical error. We must wipe it off the map, blah, blah, blah. You'd think your neighbor was a maniac. But if your neighbor works at, you know, some university, and says, I'm anti-Zionist. I believe the Jewish state should not exist. Everybody gets a country except the Jews. Well, that's perfectly normal, at least in some circles in this country. So, Noah, Biden could be
1: doing more that would make a difference, yes or no?
3: Yeah. Yeah, of course he could be doing more. He could be doing more by not trying to change the subject. That's what he's trying to do with this Islamophobia stuff. Obviously, Islamophobia is bad, and there have been incidences in which not just this murder, but individuals were targeted for—a Like a woman had her hijab pulled off on the New York City subway— And an Illinois man who verbally abused a Muslim man was arrested and charged with a hate crime. The New York Times attempted to create this sort of balance when it profiled this march that I talked about, Globalize the Intifada, the one solution to the Jewish question. In order to justify sort of a balance there, they said, well, a few days earlier, a week earlier, in fact, two men were arrested for shouting anti-Muslim slurs while attacking three other men a week earlier. Horrible, contemptible events, deserving of condemnation. Of course... But it underscores the disparity to try to establish that kind of um, that kind of balance, because the event that they were reporting on was an event attended by thousands of people, which in which 100 people were arrested. It was a demonstration organized by the Democratic Socialists of America, which is a group to which federal and state lawmakers belong. There is no. parallel here there is no balance and to attempt to establish it is to abdicate the president's responsibility which by the way they know exactly what they were doing because when the black lives matter movement was a big thing they used to tell us lecture us ad nauseum that the establishment of any other hate besides the very specific hate That brought us to this moment in time is an exercise in obfuscation, an abdication of your moral duty to confront the realities with which we are surrounded. Democrats are doing just that, obfuscating, not directly addressing what we are confronted with. And it is only going to get worse, and it's going to get worse on their watch.
1: So I agree that Biden is obfuscating and that it's ridiculous to to have this parallel focus on Islamophobia. But I'm afraid, though, there's nothing he could say or do that would make a difference on the the ground. This is a a phenomenon that is uh, deeper and running of its own dynamic, no matter what the president of the United States says, unfortunately. With that, let's go to our second sponsor, this episode made in. Made In has spoken to a lot of people who use their cookware, and they found that people consistently say two things about made in cookware. One, they can feel the difference when using made in products. Two, they can taste a difference in their cooking. Born from a 100 year family business specializing in high end restaurant supply, Made In works with celebrated chefs and expert artisans to craft elegant, Professional quality cookware for restaurant and home kitchens alike. Discover your best dinners ahead of you with artisan-made, restaurant quality cookware. Top professional chefs use Made In, including Tom Colicchio, Brooke Williamson, Grant Atkiss, Stephanie Izard, and more. Made In's award-winning non-stick cookware has a double layer of professional-grade non-stick coating. Made In stainless clad is nearly indestructible and has unparalleled heat retention, making for even heat distribution. Made In's carbon steel cookware. Can handle up to 1,200 degrees and is perfect for cooking on your stove, grill, or even open flame. Plus, they have an extensive collection of knives, bakeware, glassware, plateware, and more. We found all this to be true in the Lowry kitchen. Our made-in pans are great to handle. They do cook evenly, and very, very importantly, they are easy to clean. So Made In Cookware gets our highest recommendation, and especially my wife's recommendations. And right now, Editors listeners can get 10% off full-priced items on orders of $100 or more from Made In. For full details, visit MadeInCookware.com slash Editors. That's MadeInCookware.com slash Editors. Please check it out. So, Jim Garrity, speaking of stories that should be much bigger deals, we have this second check from James Biden or his family to Joe Biden that coincides with a business payment to James. In this case... There was this uh, CEFC, this Chinese energy concern, basically a tool of the Chinese regime that Hunter and the gang were uh, involved in trying to get business out of. They got this agreement. Hunter thought for $10 million of seed money from CAFC. It wasn't forthcoming. This is why we had the the infamous, infamous text where Hunter says, hey, I'm sitting right here with the, with uh, with my dad. We're going to be, you know, extremely pissed if, if you don't come through with this money. You know, we'll always remember. You'll always regret this if you don't do it. And they say, okay, you know, we're, we're coming through, not with the 10, but with five. And then it, it goes to these complicated uh, various business entities, and then the first tranche that Hunter takes out is four hundred thousand. Now that's an important number, right? Four hundred thousand. So it's spread out to various um, players and and family members, kind of trickles through uh, Jane's his account, and then lo and behold, coincidentally, I'm sure the amount that Joe gets is forty thousand. I'm terrible at math. Just awful at math, but you know, I, when, when I sit down in my, uh, with my abacus and my calculator, that works out to 10%. It works out to 10% of this payout. From basically the Chinese government. I mean, that's what we're we're talking about. And it's it's shocking. It it exactly accords with what we've heard about 10% for the big guy, you know, that was poo-pooed or ignored during the campaign and afterwards. And what the Democrats are saying. They'll say, well, you know, Joe wasn't in office, so what, what does it matter? But the deal with CFC began when he was in office. They, they didn't get a payment from them uh, at that time, in part probably because they didn't want it, because they didn't want the payment while Joe was in office. But then th- this begins six weeks after he leaves the vice presidency. And everyone knows, former, former vice president, even isn't going to do nothing more, has a lot of connections, a lot of influence, a lot of power. And he very well could run for the president of the United States. So that explanation really doesn't doesn't wash. And then they say, oh, you know, it's just a loan repayment. And uh, the memos on these two checks, loan repayment. Now, that could just be a convenient cover. Right. Um, Or, you know, there's a couple Democrats who say, oh, we've seen the evidence of this. I think some outside outfit PolitiFact or something says they they saw an image of uh, evidence, uh, a documentary evidence of a loan from from Joe to to James even if that's true and you know we all should see that they owe it to the public to share share that more broadly if that exists even that that's true he's getting money back based on the the sleazy uh, business dealing
2: yeah look so first of all an interesting kind of measuring stick if you're at some social gathering with conservative friends you make a joke ah 10% for the big guy your conservative friends will get the reference immediately and you know, probably either chuckle or maybe explode in anger at how this has not gotten out. This has been completely ignored by something. Your, your apolitical friends probably have no idea what that term means and probably have no idea who the big guy is and, and all that stuff. Um, and it's you know, we just want to observe that like if there was a similar arrangement for Glenn Youngkin, you'd have known about it. If this was a similar arrangement for Ron DeSantis, you'd be seeing, Remember that? You know, I was talking earlier about. You know, flood the zone coverage. You know, but you know, here we have this reference about Hunter Biden, who's got all kinds of shady foreign business partners, including China, including Burisma, and this reference to ten percent for the big guy, and they you know the attitude of most people like, who, who could the big guy be? Could be anybody. Oh my goodness, it's you know, could be uh, could be Bowl. You know, there are lots of big guys in this world. It could be anybody. Um, he was a, skin, he he was most, a skinny no. guy. Yeah, but he was big. You know, the uh, the other observation is that uh, you know, like. You know, Hunter Biden, it's perfectly normal for this guy who, by his own words, was smoking crack every 15 minutes to be on big corporate boards and for have all kinds of foreign businessmen from China to Kazakhstan really eager. Russia, one of the you know, richest women in Russia, all eager to do business with Hunter Biden because he was such a smart guy, as Joe Biden assured us. Um, the, you know, the, we, we talked a bit earlier about the lousy numbers for Biden and the comments from Axelrod and Bill Kristol that – Maybe it's time for Joe Biden to hang it up right off into the sunset and uh, let somebody else take over. I don't think Democrats are really panicked about this. But I think this is one more case in which Biden brings unique weaknesses to the 2024 presidential election. I mean, Kamala Harris does not have a son who's like, you know, brought up on gun charges. Kamala Harris doesn't have an offspring that forgot to pay taxes for a couple of years. Right. There's, you know, unique problems with Hunter Biden. Uh, and I don't know if that would necessarily be um, decisive in a 2024 presidential election. But as you alluded to, or, or that Noah alluded to earlier, uh, you know, when, when Biden says, ah, this is about a, a battle for the soul of our country. And I represent all that is good and honest and decent. And the other side represents everything that's bad. Well, now you kind of look like a crook. Your son certainly is a crook. And it certainly looks like you are in a part of this. And the only thing your son had to offer all these shady businessmen. Was as a conduit to you, his connection to you, and giving other, you know, all these, you know, uh, businessmen who leave a trail of slime everywhere they go to cash in on the Biden name. That that's all he had to offer, and everybody else can look at the, can look at this knows exactly what this is. So I don't. Like, by the way, let's make a point out. I was not a fan of the nascent effort to impeach Biden, not because I thought Biden was such a small guy, because we know in a Democratic Senate it's not going to go anywhere, and also the American electorate tends to like having the final say on whether a president should stay in office. And they're going to get that choice one year from now, unless God forbid Biden has some health issue between now and then. And I think that's, you know, so I think the best thing for house Republicans to do is provide this steady drip, drip, drip of, Hey, you know, Biden's family has been cashing in on the family name for a long time. And some of the money looks like it's been going to Biden. And all these people who've been buying access to the Biden family are just the worst people in the world. You wouldn't want, you know, anybody in the oval office going anywhere near. And everybody else in the Democratic Party has averted their eyes from it because it's just embarrassing.
1: Yeah, Noah, so the, the Joe Biden way to shut down this line of questioning, famously, I don't know, what a year or two ago, whatever it was, is, where's the money? You know, you're saying there's all this infamous peddling going on and all this foreign money sluicing into our families' accounts. Well, show me the money. Where's the money? Now we have two checks.
3: Yeah, And the best defense of Joe Biden now, and probably all that's left, is that these checks are dated respectively September 3rd, 2017 and March 1, 2018. When he's out of public office, he's trying to cash in in this really kind of corrupt but not illegal fashion for uh, uh, post-White House and post-vice presidential lawmakers. I mean, he could have been doing a book tour, he could have been giving speeches, but this is the way he decided to go about it. Um, I don't think that's especially convincing, and it'll help him out at all, given what you just identified, which was this series of, of, of untruths, the dissembling that preceded this. Originally, it was the president had no contact with his son about his business ventures. And then it became, well, he wasn't aware of the particulars of his business ventures. And then finally, it was he had no financial benefit. And anybody who subscribed to that, by the way, after all these lines had fallen apart on them, you know, should really look at themselves in a mirror and wonder why they're so gullible. It was pretty obvious that there was going to be a paper trail at us once they established that a paper trail existed, that Joe Biden was going to be on the other end of this because all his family members were saying, we have to do this. We have to contribute to our father. Potter Familius gets a cut. So anybody should, who's surprised by this should really re-examine how closely they're paying attention to the news, or their own biases and priors. And then, as Jim said, back to the the polling angle, it is remarkable the degree to which Joe Biden has become everything he campaigned against in 2020 when it comes to Donald Trump. From the age, to his incompetence, to his apparent corruption, which involves his family members, he's presiding over a climate of hate. Uh, a deteriorating security environment inside the United States, mob action, mob violence. This is all the stuff that Joe Biden was elected to deliver us from, and he has presided over a, merely a different flavor of it.
1: So Jim Garrity, exit question to you from the perspective of uh, the, the immediate aftermath of the midterm election, say, or after um, Biden's election, how would you rate the Republican investigation into his family business dealings is kind of a, a zero sort of what you what you expected or it's a 10 it's kind of blown out of the water what you expected
2: I'd put about a seven it's solid it's good it's you know finding following the facts I, I occasionally worry about some members of the house who kind of want to overhype it who, who are you know blasting it this is the smoking gun etc and then you find it and it's like eh, you know it's 're you're, you're, lay, you're laying out the breadcrumbs and you really need the electorate to follow the path and just to, to come to these conclusions um, I, I do think again this has actually the, the, this is not the primary reason that Biden's poll numbers have gone down they, they were as I mentioned went down in Afghanistan, and never really recovered. but I do think it kind of like the as you see Biden's really sour poll numbers, I think some of this is a recognition that this kindly grandfatherly good and honest and decent, old-fashioned guy that was sold to the country in 2020. Just that's not this guy. And that his family is shady as all hell. And there's all kinds of of dealings that emit an odor. And, you know, that this this image of Biden wasn't the true at all. Now, look, you know, Biden will rebound if the economy goes round if the world is at peace. If he gets better results, people will feel better about him. But I think there was kind of this, you know... Ah, good old Joe image that I think has been shattered. And I think this investigation is one of the things that helped shatter it. Noah, zero to 10.
3: Yeah, I like seven or eight. Um, So to really get him on an emolument, because this didn't happen while he was in office, you need to demonstrate where policy was changed or where policy was affected or even just dangled. And um, Joe Biden's son and uh, Devin Archer did indeed dangle. The prospect of being able to shape and change policy under Joe Biden, when he was vice president, in particular, I'm thinking of this meeting that I think a Kazakh businessman wanted with the Secretary of State that he eventually got, and we don't know like what the point A and point B, what happened in the interim there. So I would hold out any judgment that about the, you know another shoe not dropping, given all the shoes that have dropped so far. Uh, I think it's all very solid, and it will probably convince Republicans to pursue impeachment. I don't think they have sufficient grounds to convict at this point. But I wouldn't be surprised if something really damning, a a very smoking gun-like revelation emerges.
1: So I think it's a freaking nine, uh, given what my expectations were, especially. I mean, they have checks. They have checks. So with that, let me do a quick Plug for NR Plus digital subscription at nationalreview.com. Your way around our metered paywall—a legitimate way, a way you can feel good about—around our metered paywall. Your way, if you sign up and log in, to see about ninety percent fewer ads. I know the ads can be kind of obnoxious. Apologize for that, but we don't need to run the ads and try to squeeze. A couple of pennies out of your visit if you just pony up and sign up for NR Plus. It's also a way to dig deeper into our community. If that floats your boat, you can be invited to exclusive events with our writers, and editors, and comment, if you want, on articles and blog posts. It's a great deal all around and also a very, very important way to support our valuable journalism. So if you're not already a member, please consider joining tens of thousands of your fellow National Review readers as a member of enter plus today tomorrow or the day after we're not going to be picky about the timing with that jim garrity you enjoyed actually enjoyed an episode of snl
2: yeah uh look i'm sure some people would argue i aged out of the target demographic for saturday night live quite a few years ago but man um when all of you my distinguished colleagues at national review talk about the important influences on their life buckley burke all these deep philosophers some you know Dana Carvey doing Bush was one of the formulative uh, voices in my, in my life. So it's been sad to see Saturday Night Live become just much less funny year by year. And they had this uh, host, a stand-up comedian named Nate Bargatze, who I'd never heard of before a week ago. Um, and I saw him, like, who is this guy? Uh, first of all, if you haven't yet, watch his monologue to open the show. He is a very good stand-up comedian. He's apparently like notoriously clean in his material and just tells funny stories. His dad apparently was a uh, carnival performer. Uh, He talks about his elderly mother and her need to talk to everyone. And I, I suddenly related to that. But what actually had me just rolling on the floor, and I've watched several times, it just keeps seeming funny. is a sketch called Washington's Dream. And it depicts George Washington rallying his troops in 1777 by emphasizing that they are fighting for a country in which we will pick our own leaders, hurrah. We will pick our own, write our own laws, hurrah. And we will set our own system of weights and measurements, huh? And it just kind of builds upon the idea that Washington has this perfect clairvoyant vision of how Americans will use weights and measurements in the year 2023. And how none of them make sense and none of them are easy to understand and metric is so much easier for everybody else, but no, we're Americans, we're gonna do it this way. And his delivery is just hilarious, and it just gets funnier and funnier. Where he says, "You know, no, 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 um, you know, we'll only use yards and things like football. Football. What's that sport? Oh, it's a sport where you throw a ball with your hands. Is is there any kicking in football? A little bit. Do you? Uh, how many points do you get when you kick the ball? Eh, sometimes one, sometimes three. And like the absurdity and how none of this in- is intuitive uh, is just hilarious. And I recommend everybody give it a, give it a watch. No.
3: Uh, I have almost nothing going on, which is wonderful, because we've had so much going on for the social season, which is in, defined in the charter of the Rothman household, Memorial Day and Halloween, and it's over. So we've shut it all down. The, I, can, for, I can relate to you know, regular listeners that the spooky trail was a phenomenal success. It went mm-hmm. off without so, a hitch. So how,
1: many, so, how many people? I mean, it seems like you never have a social gathering of like 10 people. It has to be a hundred I mean, we or do. 200. I don't
3: talk about them because they're just <laughs> kind of, you know, unremarkable. Like an old gathering. Yeah. This one was, I'm going to say, like 40, 40, 50 kids and then roughly two parents per. But it all happens outside. Like, that's the whole thing of it. You corral them outside, they're in the garage, they're in the spooky trail. It's really easy to clean up afterwards. Um, But yes, very proud of our performance and very happy that the 2023 social season is over.
1: So I had the opportunity this morning to go to the local rink and skate around with a stick and uh, a puck and do some passing, a little bit of shooting. And I I am no one's idea of a remotely competent uh, hockey player, but it is just, uh, it's so much fun and so relaxing. With that, it's time for our editor's
2: picks. Jim Garrity, what's your pick? Well, Rich, I know you always like it when I pick yours, um, but your syndicated column, The Kidnap Posters Aren't an Affront, is a really good one and, and warrants my pick this week. I like your observation that it's a few good men moment. They can't handle the truth. And that is why what spurs these people to tear down these posters of the kidnapped Israelis. And I I just, I think you put your finger on it. The way I described it earlier was like, I feel like a whole bunch of Americans pushed all their chips at at a, you know, at this invisible roulette table. And they just bet it all that the Israelis would always be seen as the terrible oppressors and that the Palestinians would always be seen as victims and then the Hamas massacre happens and 1,300 people get killed. And we hear about babies being killed and toddlers, elementary school kids, senior citizens. We have the videos of them all being to- you know, carried off. And I think, like, it, they, they just can't deal with it. They just – they just, it snaps. It, it can't possibly – so they see that image. And that image says, you were wrong. You backed the wrong horse. You have been rooting for evil people all along. And they just flip out and they tear it off. And that's what we're seeing here. Anyway, mm-hmm. really good column. Thank uh, you. Kudos. no.
3: Yeah, I want to say um, a good word for your piece. ta Coates is a moral idiot. Uh, it's very valuable to reintroduce the kind of complexity that he doesn't see. And Black Lives Matter activists generally apply the heuristic of American racial politics and Jim, the Jim Crow South to get their hands around the conflict in the Middle East they don't otherwise understand. Um, and that's a very valuable piece. But I wanted to actually single out Haley Strack, and give her kudos for a jocular look at a subject that really doesn't lend itself very well to humor, but needs it. I needed it, which is her piece, How to Spot an Anti Semite, where she goes through the taxonomy of these uh, individuals that you're seeing in the streets and categorizes them in a very a humorous fashion that's also very cutting. Uh, it's worth your time.
1: So I'm going to engage in mutual back scratching with Jim and pick, as aforementioned, Jolt on that terrible. Murder in Los Angeles, and recommend every jolt every weekday morning. So that's it for us. You've been listening to a National Youth podcast, and your rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this game without the express written permission of National Review magazine is strictly prohibited. This podcast has been produced by the incomparable Sarah Shitty, who makes us sound better than we deserve. Thank you, Noah. Thank you, Jim. Thanks to Bethlehem College and Made in Cookware. And thanks especially to all of you for listening. We're the editors. We'll see you next time.